This episode of Sunday Night Dinner is brought to you by The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution, a documentary film by Maya Gallus, which showcases seven female chefs changing the culinary world. The Heat is set to open the Hot Docs Canadian International Documentary Festival on April 26th in Toronto and will have wide release in May. One of the chefs it features is Suzanne Barr, and if you haven't listened to our podcast episode where she makes her mom's apple pie, check it out. It's one of my all-time favorites. And coming soon is a pierogi-making episode with Charlotte Langley, another of the hardworking chefs featured in The Heat. You can find out more about The Heat at redqueenproductions.com. And we've also put a link to Maya and her work on our website, sundaynightdinnerpodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and check us out on all those social media platforms. I'll be posting some photos of Feist and Adrian hanging out in the kitchen. And as always, thanks so much for listening. And now let's get to this week's episode. You're listening to Sunday Night Dinner. How did the food that Aid made for you influence the recording? Well, the kitchen was essentially just, there was a door right here that closed and we were just on the other side of it making the record. And so she was, you know, imagine trying to cook with, like without clinking anything. And so she was like moving in this meditatively careful way, and and then in between takes she'd be like, Wow! or like blender screaming. Because it was weird for me to cook in silence too, because I usually cook with music. But it yeah. was beautiful hearing them, like hearing Leslie shredding next door, or and every take like it's so funny. Sometimes I'd cry. It was so beautiful. Like I'd hear her singing, and every one I was like, "That was it. It was beautiful." And then the next one, oh, that was amazing. The next one, that was even more amazing. <laughs> Is a party That's Leslie Feist and Adrian Amato, and we're sitting in Adrian's kitchen in Toronto, a kitchen they sit in a lot, a warm, cozy kitchen that, by the sounds of it, has witnessed all kinds of gatherings and live shows. I'm here with them to talk about their cookbook, Pleasures, the Meals of an Album, a book that came out in tandem with Feist's latest album, Pleasure. It's a cool little book that documents some of the simple, comforting food Adrian cooked for the musicians and crew recording Pleasure. And it also has some favorite recipes from other musicians, friends, and family. All profits from the sale of the book go to Community Food Centers Canada, an umbrella network that funds food security and food justice programs all over the country. Leslie and Aid are going to make South African seed bread and halloumi soup, both recipes from the book. But whether you cook or not, come hang out in the kitchen with us. There'll be lots of surprises. Just before I close the door and we start cooking though, I want to go to the park because that's where I walked a lot this winter listening to Feist's album Pleasure. 
earphones under my hat, I'd stick my hands in my pockets and walk through the trails, past the tennis courts, always dogs barking in the distance. The songs are this exquisite combination of fierce, sad, attached, disconnected, resigned, and hopeful. And Leslie's voice carried me way up beyond the trees, up to those birds, their wings gliding through cold air. Pleasure is incredibly intimate. It's stripped down, each song was recorded live, full takes beginning to end. It's like you're sitting there with her. I listen to the album at home too, usually in a mix of other stuff I love. I put it on when I cook, and sometimes the words in the quieter songs get lost. Sometimes my seven-year-old daughter, Lola, wants to talk, and I forget about everything else. But in the park, it's just me and the songs, and there's really nothing better. Each word whispered or shouted right into my ears. Pleasure is Feist's fourth full-length album. Her first, Let It Die, came out in 2004, The Reminder in 2007, and Medals in 2011. She's won 11 Juno Awards, the Polaris Music Prize, and she was nominated for four Grammy Awards. She plays with Broken Social Scene. She's collaborated with all kinds of fabulous musicians, including Peter Gabriel. She's been on Sesame Street and Stephen Colbert, and recently her voice offered deeply moving tributes to both Leonard Cohen and Gord Downey. Pleasure was recorded in Stinson Beach, California, upstate New York, and Paris. And for that California session, Adrian came to cook for the musicians and crew. The experience in Stinson Beach led to the creation of the cookbook. Aid's a psychotherapist and a filmmaker, and she's currently completing a feature-length documentary called Imbira Talks, which is set both in Canada and Zimbabwe, where Aid was born. Leslie and Aid have been friends for years, and they've cooked together a lot. Stinson Beach is about an hour north of San Francisco. It's right on the ocean, and although it's not quite as isolated as Big Sur, California, where Feist recorded her album Metals, Adrian had to do a lot of supply prepping in advance. There was a very cool-sounding produce stand she frequented near Bolinas that operated on the honor system, with a box for money on the table. Aid was cooking for about eight people. The core group included Feist's longtime collaborator, Maki, drummer Lucky Paul Taylor, and Renaud Latin and Thomas Moulin, who engineer and produce everything she does. What were your days like there? Like, take me through your, your sort of average Again, day. this recording? Yeah. So you'd wake up and go for a run? Yeah, and Aid would usually already be down there, and there'd already be some, like, batch of muffins or a smoothie or the coffee was on, and, you know, it's just it's kind of unbelievable, luxurious. And then I'd go for a run, and I'd come back, and there would just be, like, bounty to choose from. And we'd just start rolling the day. I, I mean, I don't even really... I don't remember. The days were long, though. Probably 16, 18-hour days. Like, no, it would yeah. be like we'd work on Baby Be Simple for three hours in the morning, and then we'd switch to something to just... We need to play something fast and loud to shake off the three hours of concentration and then go back again to a quiet song in the evening. And this my way Sign on the side, when 
my world was way down. Yeah, you'd work on a song like, uh, and then yeah, we'd take pick a the song break. for the day. Okay. And what was great about you is that you were so adaptive with. It wasn't like lunch is going to be in twenty minutes. It'd right. be like It'd be whenever it happens. Yeah, because we'd be like, we can't stop ever. right now. You know, yeah. we're, we've been troubleshooting an annoying problem that's going to take another two hours, and we can't eat before we solve the problem, and we can't like solve the problem and then not satisfy wanting to do the thing right. the problem was in the way of. Right. So we have to just, the food was in a way just on deck for whenever. Well, that's but, like, that's the good yeah. part about it. Like trying to come up with stuff that isn't like, if it's too fancy, then it has to be eaten at a certain time. So just having stuff that you can, like, yeah. if it's like, you know, two hours later, it's mm-hmm. still okay. Mm-hmm. No. And if we were like, we're just going to need it. Is it, is an hour okay? Aid? And she'd be like, sure. And then I, we'd turn around and she'd have snuck out and put a board of like a bunch of cheese and some, like dried fruit and a little chopped apple. I'd be like, what? Oh, oh, because she was knowing that we're flagging. Right. And we yeah. don't want to stop, but we're flagging. I mean, yeah. it was just like, I mean, come on. I've made enough records and toured enough and been in enough communal work, rehearsal scenarios, stuff like that, where like the food thing really just can grind the whole thing to a halt. Everyone, especially working with men, I can't say, they get really hungry a lot. They, they need to eat a lot, a lot of times, many times in the day. There's a lot of food. Everything mm-hmm. grinds to a halt because now you got to go find a restaurant and you have to find a, or it order it in. And then there's like a mountain of styrofoam that yeah. just kill, like, it just crushes my soul, the constant takeout. So it's just, it was, it was just the best on all fronts. I hope you don't mm-hmm. have plans next time you got to come to <laughs> In California, Aid made stuff like root vegetable lentil soup, pasta with pesto and roasted veggies, butternut lemongrass curry, vegan oat cakes, and she made it all very quietly. So tell us tell us about this this bread. Where does it come from? Where did you get the recipe? The seed bread is like it's a my mom's from South Africa from Cape Town. Okay. And there's all these versions of Cape seed bread that are it's like an intense, really heavy, grainy bread, and there's like a ton of different versions of it. And um, this one was like a gluten-free, no flour, so I was like, oh, I'm going to try this one. So I just go online, usually when I'm looking for recipes, and I go through and look through a whole bunch of different recipes and combine, like I've cooked enough or baked enough to know what would be good combos and just changed it. And it, it worked. It was good. All right, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So, okay, so just call out, I'll get the stuff. So, we've got the pumpkin seeds. Uh, Yeah, the toasting happens to the, all the seeds. Okay, Okay, so a cup of sunflower seeds. Okay, so we'll just measure out all the stuff, put it in here. Cooking This bread, true to its name, is full of seeds. First step is to toast the seeds, the sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, buckwheat groats, which are the hulled seeds of the buckwheat plant. None of us was entirely sure what groats were, and millet. Aid toasted them in a frying pan on the stovetop for about eight minutes. You can go to our website, sundaynightdinnerpodcast.com, at any time to read the recipe. All right. Okay, so we, so we have... add those toasted seeds to the, the oats, the psyllium husks, the chia, the flax, and salt. Okay. 
And then we're going to add the honey, oil and the boiled water. Because the boiled water, because it's all seeds, there's no flour, there's no... So the, the boiled water and it sits for two hours just allows things to get soft. Okay, and then we're going to do the hot water. Two and three quarter cups of boiled water. And then we're going to get some maple syrup or honey, whichever one you have. So we're going to add, so it's two tablespoons of maple syrup or honey and a quarter cup of olive oil. Just stuff it in and, yeah, stuff it down in there like, it's funny. Eh? So I so can hot. do the stuffing it in. I'm like, Did you wash your hands? Yes. Yes, Leslie. After putting the seed mixture into a loaf pan lined with parchment paper, Leslie set a timer for two hours and we covered the seed bread with a towel. And then there was a lot of this kind of conversation. Do you know how long the uh, bread's been today? 45 more minutes. Do we really have to wait two hours? It might be too hard if you don't. Yes. <laughs> yes. But we waited patiently, and then the bread went in the oven for one and a half hours at 400 degrees until it was a beautiful golden brown. When I was cooking in Stinson, I really did feel the sense of communing with women. I kept thinking about all the women around the world who like have huge families and have to cook three meals a day like for them, mm -hmm. and how you would become like however much people appreciate it. It's all consuming, like you would become this invisible, like, nurturer, you know? Yeah. Like, it's really wild. Like, there's really not much else you can do other than gathering the food, like, preparing it, cleaning all the... It's wild. Like, I really felt this huge respect for mm -hmm. women everywhere. I felt, like, mm -hmm. this connection with that. Mm -hmm. In the years that I've had my whole family up at my place for Christmas, I mean... It's crazy. You spend all day making this elaborate meal and it's gone in about 20 minutes and no one says anything except, mmm, this is good. And then it's just, you know, it's, I, was, I would always marvel. I'd yeah. like, oh my God, that's crazy. It's really hard to do it all on your own. It's such a lonely experience. Mm -hmm. Like day in and day out. Yeah, I mean. but I think in, some, in, in many ways, and I was thinking about this in terms of both of you, Adrian, you were in the kitchen doing that on your own and then everyone would come together and you would have this shared meal and Leslie you are writing on your own yeah. and then you come together and create yeah. this music right that yeah. with the, in this collective environment that's nice. an interesting yeah. corollary that I never I would have thought true. of for sure yeah it's, I think that there's just merit in both sides of those. Like, there must be something really fun for you to be like, oh, my God, I'm making something great. They're going yes. to gonna love this. Yes. Because you're, in a sneaky way, you're preparing mm -hmm. a surprise, essentially. And right. I think that's a little bit what writing is, because when the unveiling of, okay, here's the songs, yeah. let's, let's figure out how we're going to arrange them. And yeah. that, that uh, you know, so I feel like I've been working on a... There's a reveal, you know, yeah. there's a moment where it's yeah. like, mm -hmm. okay, now I can... I can open the door to the kitchen, open the door right. to the musicians. I, I was wondering if you kind of have a generalized listener in mind when you write. 
I remember after I made Let It Die, which was a very naive, didn't know that anyone would ever hear it, you know, just sort of, there was no listener because there never had been anyone listening yeah. in the 10 years up till then I'd been making records. So I made that, and then it's very much like a hermetically sealed studio album that I made with, like, Chili Gonzalez played almost everything except the guitars, and... But then I went out to tour it, and I couldn't tour like that because I don't play synths, and I didn't have drum machines, and I was just playing solo. So everything got turned from full production, computery, you know, made inside of a studio-y record to just a person with a guitar. And I found... Like so much, people were really easy to adapt to the, these new versions. So in a way, when I went to make the next record, I felt this like kind of invisible benevolence, this sort of wind of acceptance. Like whoever they are, those people that I just saw for the last four years while I toured, maybe they, who I identified as like open-minded, they just seemed up for however it was going to be adapted. So it's funny, now is so many years deep. I mean, so many records in so many years. Maybe I sense them as they're just open. They're already open. I can be maybe even more honest. I can, because I'm sharing from like a super cloistered privacy right into that same cloistered, very private, quiet place in themselves. Like I imagine the records being listened in headphones, you know. It's not like a party hang, everyone's together, background music. I'm kind of, I'm so focused that I'm imagining someone with headphones who's similarly focused on the other end from like privacy to privacy. So it's it's kind of nice because in that, in that place, you don't want to, like, what's the point of lying or, you know, hedging your honesty, going halfway. It sort of feels like the most, as all conversations, the best ones are the ones that are super unguarded or... <laughs> If I thought about a bunch of people at once, it would be harder to be that direct. Okay. But because it's sort of a one-on-one -on -one thought that I mm -hmm. have, for sure. I think it's from being a teenager in the early sport Walkman era. <clears throat> yes, yeah. <laughs> Just at the bus stop waiting for you, yeah. you know, listening to your mm -hmm. pure Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me cassette. And do you, do you know when something is ready to be shared with the world? Yeah, I couldn't really say what it is. Some strange, like, spirit thermometer or something. Just, I don't know why I know when it's... You know, I do have a couple trusted sounding boards. Maki would be one, Aid would be one. She came over. She lived... My studio's just down the street. So I'd say two or three times in the year that I was writing, I would hit a wall and kind of knowing that she will tell me the truth but she's also going to lean towards like encouragement <laughs> I would like come down and let me just pretend it's 1921 and this is a salon and I need to play you some of some new stuff and she'd just be like okay man and come and sit in the corner and I'd just play through stuff and you know you there, there, there's been times where you're like mm. no her famous line is computer says no man <laughs> times where she's That's like awesome. yes and even Andrew Whiteman I had him come in once and he was like he's like no you've already been here done that like some song I was working on that he was like no I've been hearing that for 20 years I've been that sentiment like time to lay that one to rest some yearning you know he's like enough with the yearning you know it's so, <laughs> so you know you have these like good friends yeah. that you can trust in Maki That's would great. be the other one Maki is 
Maki co-produced a record with me, and I've co-written a couple songs with him over the years. He's just sort of like a musical brother, and he was here waiting for his visa visa processing because he was living in the states. So he just had to leave the country. So he came here and he was just hanging out. And I was like, well, if you're just hanging out, you want to come by and tell me if this is a record or not, you know? Because I was so far along, but I was just very... Like, it's a, such a solitary process. When I just wrote this song called Hug a Thunder for Broken Social Scene, like, with them, it was so instantaneous with all my old friends. The song did not exist, and nine minutes later, it did exist, almost in its entirety. And I was like oh my god, this is so easy compared to what I do by myself where I'm like, you know, building a pyramid one crumb at a time. Like, just, it's so arduous and... One crumb. Just to the grain of sand. Yeah, it's a cake at the end. But it's just such a different thing. So having, like, a few of my... There's only a couple people that I, you know, that you can... I could reveal that too, and you know, Maki kind of looked at me like, "What are you talking about? This, this is like almost an album, you know." It's like, "Oh, okay," because you know, you can't see the forest yeah. for the trees sometimes, yeah. or you don't yeah. even know what you're dealing with, or it's like you're in the pixelated way, your nose pressed right up against the, the painting, you know, just like I don't, I only see blobs of color. I don't know what's happening here. Mm-hmm. So, with help of like some of that, there, there's also some sense of like, okay, I think. Really. It's time. There's something here. I think it's so important, you know, the whole room of your own, the Virginia Woolf mm-hmm. thing, like having a space where that you can go to give yourself that time, just yeah, hard with really life. I spent my childhood watching my dad do that. He he was in the studio every day. Right. Door was locked. Yeah. I think really I saw true. that facing, that there was merit and the and the time was justified to go stare at an empty canvas and then end up with you know a giant abstract painting yeah you know that like value is where you you know wherever you put your focus it's true having not gone to university all my friends who got had literature degrees or you know and I have a crush on their bookshelf and I'm like oh and they all are quite like yeah you know uh brush it off like it didn't matter and I'm like, I actually know you, and I know your perspective on things, and I know what you know that I don't know, because I'm, I'm so knowledge-hungry, having never studied formally about anything, that I can see the basis of that education, yeah, the, the way people are people. able to formulate opinions and mm-hmm. spin a good yarn and, yeah. <laughs> and reference things culturally and understand yeah. why things are relevant. Adrian, what do you listen to when you cook? Whatever is, whatever, like, to me, music's like apothecary. It's like whatever my mood, like whatever medicine I need. If it's, like, world music, if it's, like, Ethiopian stuff. And, but I, that's how I cook. I put on music pretty loud and I just go. It's like a meditation. What about you, Leslie? What do you, what do you listen to when you cook? I, I have a record player and I'm just trying to weed through all the vinyl that I've collected over the years or that I've absorbed from roommates or my dad's carver boxes or whatever so I don't know sometimes I just do record roulette like pick whatever's there Aid is really the most curatorial music knower that I know more than literally any musician I know I'm, I'm really it's not only because she's sitting here that I'm saying it's just in terms of things I've learned about that have made a difference and influenced me in the last 10 years it's like most of it comes through Aid it's true. Oh, Don't Leslie, that's so nice. <laughs> Don't it's so nice. It's funny because 
like in when I grew up in Zimbabwe, my house was the music house. People always say they came to our house. So I got it from my dad. That's why I feel like crying because my, my dad probably gave that to me. But we had a music room dedicated just to listening to vinyl. We talked more about music and how the way we listen to music has changed while Leslie chopped an onion and some ginger for the halloumi soup. Halloumi is a firm, springy white cheese from Cyprus that's traditionally made from sheep's milk. It has a high melting point, so it can be grilled or fried or put in soup, and it will retain its shape. It's salty and delicious. This comforting soup also contains tomatoes, chickpeas, red wine, and lots of spinach. I don't know what happened, but listening to music became strange once once it became a streaming scenario. So... I don't know what it is. I don't really know how to describe it, but I don't feel as connected to music when it's streaming. Even if it's something I've known since I was 17, if I'm listening to it while it streams, I feel a disposableness or a my attention span shifts. It's really strange. I don't know how to describe it, but it's something about it the sense. medium is the message. The message gets changed by the medium. Mm -hmm. When you put vinyl on, it's intentional. You're you're making the decision with your body, not just with your fingertip, you know? Mm -hmm. You're not letting an algorithm decide for you what you're listening to next. There's something... And also the, a friend making a mixtape. It means something, having that scramble of songs. Having a, a streaming service picked for you is... You can find new things and discover new stuff, but does it root in you in the same way when it's not your friend who said, you're you, who I love and know, will love this, yeah. who, which is why I'm giving it to you. Have more tea, eh? You want? Yeah, so this is easier, so we're just frying the ginger and onions, so okay. it's translucent, then we're going to add the, the spices to kind of release the flavors um, for a little bit, just for two minutes. And then you just dump the tomatoes, canned tomatoes, the chickpeas, the halloumi, the spinach. So easy. So friggin' easy. Love awesome. it. <laughs> I love it's it. true. It does its own work. This recipe is from Ariel Angle of La Force, Broken Social Scene, and Aurora, one of Leslie and Aid's close friends. There are also recipes from Mia Maestro, Daniela Gesundheit of Snowblink, Leslie's manager, Robbie Lackritz, he makes a mean chili, Leslie's mom and aunts, and AIDS friend, Emily Karuna. I'm always interested in memorable eating experiences, and a lot of the time when I ask that question, the food itself is kind of secondary. Food can be the great connector, no matter what it is, and simple food made with love can be the best. You know, one time I had a friend from California who wanted to come see what winter was about. So she came here for a few months in the thick of the winter. And she's a real food knowledge, like real California food culture person. And and I remember in that winter, she had never tasted a butter tart, stuff like that. So it isn't only like, wow, butter, this is crazy. It's Let's get all your friends who know about what this thing I just discovered about a butter tart and have a butter tart baking contest kind of thing. And everyone came over and we had like... I was there, I remember that. Yeah, and there was like a 
a prize for crust and in, insides and you know just the and then we got one from the really good bakery and kind of put it there as a decoy and and then we did another night we were making like it was just a pie conveyor belt of savory and sweet pies and I, I used to live in this place that had a fireplace in the kitchen so it was like crackling fire just dough rolling assembly line and everyone having their thing to say about the savory and the and the sweet pies and it was just it's like when there's collective making it's not just someone in charge of the kitchen get out of my kitchen don't touch my stuff but it's kind of like when you see the old you picture the old farm story of the everyone sitting on the porch shucking peas or something you know any of that kind of hands-on all hands on deck I love that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's that's not just not the eating that's the point, it's no. the making together. Yeah. And what about Sunday night dinner? Any traditions or past memories? No, no, I don't think that was a thing. I think it was a thing I knew that was supposed to be a thing, but wasn't a thing in our house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was like me too. Yeah. I mean, my mom figured out about food, I think, by the time I was a teenager. But she was raising two kids on her own. You know, I think maybe in my mom's case, it was more just the practical, I've got to feed these kids, and mm-hmm. she just got home from work, and it's already yeah. 5.30, and yeah. so there was, it wasn't like, get up on the stool, and let's all do this, you know, it was, it was, it was like a survival version of food, yeah. which is totally, you know, I think she did an amazing job, like, hiding protein inside of things. I can't imagine, I can't remember a food event from childhood, except that I hated everything that had any color. That's the story, the lore that I just roll my eyes, my family lore. Everyone's like, oh, you're eating a tomato. I'm like, I am 41 years old. I eat food <laughs> now. Food but they're still like, but you never used to eat colors. And I'm like, okay, guys, loud and clear. I ate a lot of crackers, I guess, you know. But yeah, growing up, like Sunday songs, yeah, I don't know, not a thing. Yeah, me too. I'm Jewish, Sephardic yeah. Jewish. So for me, it was Friday night dinner. Okay. Like we had Friday night dinners, and it was amazing. It was my grandparents, who were incredible cooks. They were from Greece, like from Rodos, but they cooked Mediterranean, like peasant food. My grandfather was an amazing cook. Like I have him in my head. Like he's the reason I cook for sure. The soup is talking to us. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's go record it. <laughs> Feist plays shows all over the world. She was recently in Japan, New Zealand, Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong. She's set to play a bunch of shows in the U.S. and Eastern Canada, as well as England, Belgium, France, and Portugal. She spent a huge chunk of her life on the road. She started touring when she was 16. She's seen a lot, and she's tasted a lot. Oh, yeah, my favorite restaurant in the world is Contramar in Mexico City. Um, yeah, it's just the first time I ever went to Mexico is with my good friend, Jannie McGinnis, and we got off the plane, we dumped our bags, and she said, okay, first bite, first sip, come with me. And we went to Contramar, which is only open for these elaborate long lunches. And, you know, there's palapa fans, and it's every, every, the waiters are in their white linen, and everything's just fine but easy, which is a Mexican vibe. It's just fine but easygoing and so much dignity. These career waiters, you know what I mean? It's not the thing you do while you're going through university. It's the thing you bring your whole dignity to. And... 
And so the first bite I had was a tostadas datun. It's like these beautiful little homemade tostadas with like thin, almost like carpaccio of tuna and avocado on top. And you put some salsa verde. And my first sip was a michelada diablo, which is a which is beer to lime juice with Tabasco and Worcester. That place I've been like I'll like when I go to Mexico City, I'll, I'll like I think I just need to stop for yeah. two days in Mexico City on my way. <laughs> to Buenos Aires or whatever and then just to have a tostada to basically have <laughs> as many tostadas as I can eat and, uh, and Mexico City is just yeah it's my favorite city and it's do you love playing there yeah I do residencies there like I'll, I'll stick around and play for four or five nights in beautiful kind of off the beaten track theaters although actually no this last time I played at the I think it was called like Teatro Nacional or something that's not really off the beaten track but the first the year that aid came was called Teatro Fru Fru incredible place yeah wild like had been derelict for years with the doors like chained shut and they opened them to make these gigs happen touring has changed a lot for Leslie over the past 20 years but because she's got one of the biggest hearts in the business she donates all her merch money to charity money made from things like t-shirts and tote bags and the cookbook is no different. All the money raised by the cookbook goes directly to Community Food Centers Canada. Adrian was familiar with CFC programs because she did a lunch and learn program for youth experiencing psychosis. The big difference between community food centers and food banks is that at CFCs, people learn cooking and gardening skills while still having emergency access to high quality foods. I mean, back in the day, you sell T-shirts essentially to pay for gas. I mean, the gigs don't pay for themselves, and everyone comes away maybe with five bucks at the end of a tour, and you sell T-shirts and CDs and stuff so that you can, you know, raise up the coffers to get you to the next show. Once I was in a situation where, it, like, the shows themselves were sustaining getting to the next show, merch became, like, I don't know, it just seemed like, well, that's just easy to redirect, it's easy, it's not, I don't need it anymore, which isn't to say it's not great to have a little extra coming in or whatever, but there, I mean, going from zero to it being support, supporting itself, it wasn't like a slow enough growth where I, I um, you know, had incorporated that merch money into my own life, my own need. I didn't need it. It was like, oh my God, the pay, shows pay for themselves. Everyone's going home. Everyone's making a decent living. Merch can be redirected. And then it became this, feeling of funneling money from a person who's interested in random tote bag to, you know, taking literally, I just become the middleman moving tote bag 15 bucks directly to something else. And then educating people right where they're buying the t-shirt or the tote bag or whatever at a show of where it's directly going, like literally every cent besides the making of the thing, you know? Right. And so this book fell into the same, into that model, but so much more direct because aid actually knew the different first first of all educated me on the difference between a food bank and a food security program i didn't know the difference this is a very proletariat undertaking it's not like a grand picture book mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's not a coffee table <clears throat> book it's a dirty kitchen counter book <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like soaking in oil and that makes it all the better <laughs> ooh the bridge ooh, ooh look at that look at that see <gasps> they're just like I want to eat that. Well, we will. We're going to. It's so crunchy. What can it sit for a tiny 
little minute here. Okay, let's see. I don't know how it's going to cut, but we'll try. Let's get a good knife. This is an exciting unveiling. The cookbook's adaptability and ease are kind of perfect for whatever kind of Sunday night dinner you have. And it's really fun to listen to pleasure in your earphones and cook some of the dishes that Adrian made with love for the musicians and the crew. Her food fueled some really beautiful recordings of some really beautiful songs. As Leslie says, the songs are written from a cloistered privacy, and she thinks of people listening to them in the same way. And I love how that private listen transforms wherever I am into a collage of new colors and a relentless hum that sometimes sounds like an electric guitar taking over the world. Do you have a favorite song from the album? The Wind, I really love. I love Party, Any Party. I love that Me song. Oh it's just, God. it's, <laughs> I, I love, oh, there's so many songs I love. What I love about this album is that it really shows your guitar chops, your own, your particular shred, ability to shred. And I'm really glad. Yes, you know, I'm really <laughs> oh, glad yeah. that that's like highlighted. Because to me, it's really your voice and that. Yeah. And like, I just want that more and more. I'm always saying that. I just want like a solo shredding, singing. <laughs> Party of one. Uh, Party of one. Thing, you know. I, no, but I mean, to I'm be really, one, you need so many. It's true. <laughs> but, but, you know, I feel like I'm really glad that that was, that you let that rip, so to yeah. speak. Mm. Yeah. Thanks so much to Leslie and Adrian. I had so much fun hanging out with you guys. You're both lovely. Check out the cookbook, Pleasures, the Meals of an Album at Feist Store, feiststore.com. All the proceeds go to such an incredible organization. Order one now. If you want to know more about Community Food Centers Canada, you can find them at cfccanada.ca. All of the Feist songs featured in this episode, Any Party, Baby Be Simple, Get Not High, Get Not Low, and Century, are from Feist's awesome album, Pleasure. You can go to listentofeist.com to download, stream, or to buy the CD or vinyl, and to learn more about tour dates, news, past shows, and to see some photos. Adrian is currently completing a feature-length documentary in collaboration with Fifth Town Films called Imbira Talks, and you can learn more at fifthtownfilms.com. I can't wait to see it. There are links to all these sites and to more information about Adrian's films on our website, sundaynightdinnerpodcast.com. 
Another shout out as well to Maya Gallus's new documentary, The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution, which will have wide release in May. But if you happen to be in Toronto on April 26th or 28th, it's playing as part of the Hot Docs Canadian International Documentary Festival. Find out more at redqueenproductions.com or hotdocs.ca. Subscribe to Sunday Night Dinner Podcast so you don't miss a single episode. We've got some really fun shows lined up. Chef Charlotte Langley is next. And also coming up, Nanaba Duncan of Fresh Air and Media Girlfriends making ground nut stew with help from free phone calls and her mom in Ghana. And Marcella DiLonardo of Hey Modest Mars making mushroom risotto. Music for the show is created by the super-talented J.J. Ibsen, who just became a dad a few weeks ago. Welcome, Julie and David. I'm Suzanne Hancock. Thanks for listening. Lola asked me to bring her... Um Get a lady for you to sign. No. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Oh my god, that's the cutest oh, that's thing nice I ever saw. One. She's even in tune. Is she playing this? Yeah. Oh my god. She plays free fall. It sounds nice. But how do you tell free fall and go? Cause I'm free. <laughs> it's called up Lola. That's good. Oh, you know yeah, it! Yeah! Okay, okay. Mom okay. knows. I don't know if I can remember. I'm free! <laughs> yeah? DNA, man. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> That's amazing! <laughs> You've been watching your daughter's hands, yes!